clinical review in the BMJ discusses HIV testing and the management of newly diagnosed HIV. I'm Navjot Lada, Clinical Reviews Editor, and I'm here with one of the authors of the review, Dr. Mike Raymond, Consultant in Sexual Health at Chelsea and Westminster. Hello, Mike. Hello. And to give the perspective of someone who has been through this, we're joined by Paul, who was diagnosed with HIV four years ago. Hi, Paul. Hello. Mike, in the review, you talk about HIV testing being the gateway to treatment and prevention. Can you elaborate on why HIV testing is so important? HIV testing, as you've touched upon, is is the gateway to both treatment and HIV prevention. The prognosis for individuals who are diagnosed with HIV in the UK now Uh, if they're otherwise fit and well at the point of their diagnosis is absolutely excellent and we can now sort of definitively say that someone who's diagnosed with HIV infection with a good CD4 count should anticipate a normal, healthy, long, happy life and should plan for retirement. If we look at people who continue to develop ill health or die of HIV-related complications, a good proportion of them do so because they were diagnosed at a late stage of the infection. Um, And so we want to try and expand HIV testing to reduce late stage diagnosed HIV and we also know that there's kind of a persistent fraction of people who are living with HIV in the UK who don't yet know their status and again absolutely testing is the key for those people to access care. The other issue around sort of a public health issue is that we now know again that people who are uh, HIV positive who know their status can take steps to prevent transmission to other people uh, and equally, antiretroviral therapy is a, is a very, very powerful tool to reduce transmission of HIV infection. So if we're going to ever uh, reduce ongoing transmission of HIV in the UK and new diagnoses, we really, really need to work hard to expand testing for both of those reasons. In the review, you discuss the different areas where testing should be offered, Um, and it includes routine areas such as sexual health and HIV clinics, antenatal testing, um, other chronic diseases such as hepatitis C. Um, How do do we know how much testing is offered outside of those more routine routine sort of settings? So, as a GP, my perception is not not very much, but. Perhaps you can elaborate. Yeah, so I mean, there are two potential data sources to look at for that. One would be looking at regional laboratories. So you can ask a local or a regional virology lab uh, about the origin of their HIV tests. We know that at the moment in the UK, the vast, vast majority of HIV tests are done in sexual health settings and antenatal settings where the recommendation is that all attendees are tested routinely. And about 70 to 80% of all tests are done in that in those circumstances. The remaining tests come from a variety of settings, primary care and secondary care. Talking of place of diagnosis being in secondary care, Paul, this might be a good time to pick up on um, your diagnosis and and how you were diagnosed. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, sure. So I was um, admitted to hospital for a second time after I'd um, actually got a severe chest infection, which turned out to be pneumonia. the second time I was in, I was asked if I wanted a routine um, test for HIV um, n- in no relation to why I was in at the time. I was actually in A&E um, and I agreed to have the test done. Um, I wouldn't have had been tested otherwise. I wouldn't have fallen t- sort of gone down that road of being tested, which, you know, in hindsight is probably a stupid thing not to do but you know you sort of bury your head in the sand a little bit and I didn't think that the reason I was in hospital was related Um, so when I was tested I had a saliva test 
and it was af- after that that I got the news through the phone call through that I needed to go in for further testing because it had shown up that it was showing up um, HIV on the test. Right. Okay. We'll come back to what happened afterwards sure. there, but just to pick up on on that sort of the the way that the test was offered, um, Mike, can you tell a bit us a bit more about that? scheme of HIV testing being offered in A&E? Yeah, I mean, as we cover in the the clinical review, one way of thinking about uh, the HIV testing guidelines is that there are sort of three broad strata. I suppose one is that we want, we still know that HIV in the UK is largely restricted to higher risk groups. So those will people who are, those are people who HIV affects disproportionately. So we know that's gay and bisexual men. We know that's uh, people from living in the UK, but who are from parts of the world where HIV is much more prevalent. So sub-Saharan Africa, the Caribbean uh, and their sexual partners, um, injecting drug users, although in the UK, it's not a huge issue. Uh, and um, we, the guidelines make the recommendation that regardless of who the um, uh, the care provider is, whether that's a doctor, a practice nurse, a midwife or whoever, they should be empowered to offer people who belong to those higher risk groups an HIV test when they have an interaction in healthcare. The second strand is looking at... Um, I suppose it's diagnostic testing, but broadening the scope of diagnostic testing and the the guidelines describe indicator conditions. And those are medical conditions that we believe share an underlying association with HIV infection. And that may be due to behavioural risks. So an example might be viral hepatitis. So someone who's living with chronic hepatitis B, by definition, probably is at slightly higher risk of HIV infection. Uh, And also through the the pathophysiology of of HIV causing immune uh, problems. Obviously, all AIDS defining illnesses should prompt a a doctor or a nurse to, to do an HIV test. But indicated diseases also encompass a broad range of conditions that people might not necessarily think share an association with HIV. So that might be persistent cervical abnormalities like persistent CIN2 or it might be recurrent bacterial chest infections. And then the third strand is uh, as well as HIV in the UK being concentrated within higher risk groups it's also geographically concentrated and we know that the vast majority of people living with HIV do live in urban metropolitan areas. And so some populations will have much, much higher background rates of HIV infection than others. And one idea or one strand of the guidelines is uh, that if you live in a high prevalence area, and we define that as more than 2 per 1,000 people locally living with HIV infection, then in various healthcare settings, whether that's a GP practice or an A&E department, just offer everyone an HIV test because everyone who lives locally is therefore, by definition, higher risk. Uh, And Paul's story is very interesting because it pulls... Uh, out probably two of those strands. So we were offering routine HIV tests in an emergency department in a uh, in a high prevalence area. So everyone in the emergency department was being offered a test at that time, irrespective of their reason for attendance because it was a high prevalence area but equally had it been a different situation or a different setting then Paul's two episodes of of bacterial pneumonia may have prompted a test based on the indicator condition uh, based recommendations for testing. Right okay and so that's interesting about you know everyone being offered in a high prevalence area does does that happen in London? So in response to the guidelines, that recommendation was made on some cost effectiveness data. So we know in the UK and nationally from real world data and uh, modelling data that 
being diagnosed early is cost effective okay so although someone who's diagnosed earlier may have longer lifetime drug costs or you know uh, hospital associated costs from visits and so on those costs are vastly they vastly offset the costs incurred by late diagnosis when people can present very late with AIDS defining illnesses and incurring you know short and long-term morbidity and all, and so on so we know that people who enter care um, at earlier stages in the natural history of HIV bearing in mind someone can be living with HIV for 8, 9, 12 years without any significant problems uh, should be cost effective uh, if we make those diagnoses earlier and it's generally thought that if we any kind of scheme that involves um, detecting new HIV infections at more than one per thousand tests done so a new diagnosis rate of 0.1% is probably cost effective so there's a kind of inference like oh, well if you're only detecting you know a handful of people in every thousand tests we do what's the point well actually there is a huge point of doing it equally it's useful for people to test and test negative because it thinks that people are thinking about their sexual health and so on so the 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 scheme that Paul was involved in was a pilot scheme but since that those studies have published that show that the vast majority of people found it highly highly acceptable to be offered an HIV test in a in a non traditional setting like the A&E department and that probably about two-thirds of people say okay great thanks I'll have a test then please uh, we've had rollout so for example at the hospital that Paul was diagnosed at we're routinely offering uh, all uh, A&E attendees an HIV test and we've diagnosed you know 60 people who are now accessing care that perhaps like Paul might not have tested otherwise uh, until it was well, not too late but later than we'd have liked mm. to have seen. That's fascinating. Um, Paul let's come back and talk about being offered the test you said that you were just asked if you wanted to have a routine yes. HIV test was there any other information that you were given at the time um it's I mean it's four years ago so mm. it's difficult to remember the exact um but I mean it was it was explained to me that they were doing routine tests um would I what well, I didn't have to have it done um it was my option to have it done um I didn't feel pressured into it at all mm. um I remember thinking that it was a bit strange at the time that somebody would come round and asked, but then I realised that everybody was being asked sort of thing. It wasn't particularly connected with why I was in hospital. Um, and so I just agreed and went went through with it, okay. not thinking that I would be testing positive, but, you know, just because I thought I'd, it had crossed my mind at some point, I really should, as a, as a, as a gay man, I maybe should... Um, be tested at some point so I just thought well they've offered so I'll I'll have the test done yeah and um, you mentioned that if it hadn't been for that you you probably wouldn't have been tested I really otherwise. don't think I would have done to be quite honest I'd thought about it many times but then I th I used to think that I wasn't showing any signs mm. I wasn't particularly reckless and so I didn't think that I would need to to be quite honest had it ever been offered to you elsewhere? So, say, in an interaction with a GP or with other healthcare Never. settings? No. 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 That was the first time. That was the first time. And then can we um, just pick up with you, Mike, um, about offering HIV testing? It's something that um, clinicians, you know, the whole range of healthcare professionals can feel a bit awkward about or find difficult. Can you tell us how, how we should approach offering HIV testing? Yeah, I... I there is still a stigma that's associated with HIV testing that seems to be uh, 
hanging around for longer than it deserves. Of course, HIV testing in the 80s and early 90s was different because uh, the implications of a positive test were, were grave. Uh, and in response, and equally, we know that it was relatively marginalised communities that were affected at the time. And so HIV testing kind of became sacrosanct and it became, you know, the, the domain of specialist health advisors and, and so on and so forth. Um, but that was because of the consequence. Like any diagnostic test, uh, you think about, well, what are the risks in a and the benefits associated with it. The same is true of a chest radiograph or a hepatitis C test or even a dipstick for glucose. You're, you know, you're weighing that up with the patient. And these days, it's only ever in someone's best interest to test. If they test and they're negative, great, they can take steps to stay that way. But if they test and it's a positive result, it's always in someone's interest to find out sooner rather than later. And as I say, the, 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 the future is bright for people who test positive um, but it should be as simple as that and if a patient declines an HIV test I would challenge them to check that there's not uh, a lack of information or misunderstanding around what it might be there are some again some old old long shadows cast about insurance and all that you know all this legislation is historical um, and in fact the GMC repealed specific guidance for testing for HIV because it doesn't deserve that exceptionalization anymore and, and consenting for an HIV test should be in line with any other investigation what are the benefits what are the risks how am I going to get what do the results mean and how will I get them and as I say I would again with the different nuances of the different situations by making it routine that's probably the biggest uh uh, strategy to destigmatize HIV testing and I think a lot of the worry and the stigma we bring to the situation as clinicians and lots of studies have shown that patients actually are very open-minded and very accepting and we as clinicians tend to be the the, the, uh, the barrier to, to broadening right. HIV testing. So we shouldn't think that it's too out there to bring up the the idea of having an HIV test which I think you're exactly right often we worry that the patients will be surprised but yeah maybe yeah. perhaps labeling it as routine is the the way forward yeah. there okay and um when you mentioned indicator conditions are there any other sort of prompts that should help people that perhaps don't work in those kind of routine settings like a sexual health clinic mm. or antenatal care to um, consider hiv testing as I say, I would say in people who work in high prevalence areas should just look at routine testing. Mm. So um, in London, Greater Manchester, Birmingham and so on, GP practices should probably offering be, be offering routine HIV testing to all new registrants in much the same way that, you know, a, a, a blood pressure is done in a urine dip and a BMI measurement. And in fact, there's better evidence to support routine HIV testing than many of the other routine screening tests that we offer to populations. I think... Clinicians who are working in other domains uh, might want to then reflect on the specifics of their situation. So, for example, uh, you might want to focus on a list of indicator conditions in your domain of practice, like a gynaecologist might think about, well, actually, how could I offer routine testing to everyone with CIN2 and above? Or in a termination of pregnancy service, how can I offer an HIV test to all women who attend my service requesting termination of pregnancy? Um, so I think you probably want to reflect on your local, uh, um, how those guidelines relate to your practice. Um, but then there are several sort of uh, generic bits of advice, which I think are think about strategies to make sure that your routine testing is safe, that you've got clinical governance or results governance processes in, in place to make sure that all appropriate results are acted upon. And one of the successes of uh, many of the testing programs, myself and other 
HIV doctors have been involved in has been interaction close liaison with us. So the local sexual health service would probably be very, very happy to help, as might the virology department and so on, to help with uh, results governance and transfer to care of patients who have non-negative results. Because I think, going back to your previous question, one of the big concerns about HIV testing as well is uncertainty about what to do with a reactive mm. result. So don't do it in isolation. Work with local specialty services uh, to help with results governance and transfer to, to care and helping with the non-negative results. Um, and I think that's probably it. And I think learning by doing most people start to do routine testing we're working with lots of practices locally who are doing routine testing as part of new patient checks and the message we hear again and again is oh it's not caused the furore we were expecting it's actually fine and then read some of the papers there's now a wealth of evidence that's out there that shows that patients are highly highly accepting of this it's acceptable uh, and it works uh, and hopefully as we amass more evidence it will start to to chip away at those historical barriers and reservations Okay. Okay. Okay, Paul, I'm going to ask you to cast your mind back four years ago sure. again. And um, talking a bit about um, getting your diagnosis, um, I mean, it was just part of a, of a routine test. How, yes. how was the information conveyed to you? So after um, I got, I had the phone call at home um, that said that I, I think it was that it had shown reactive um but I needed to be tested actually at John Hunter. Um, so I went over with my partner, actually, um, who they suggested that he got tested as well. I mean, getting used to the idea was... Um, I remember the time <coughs> was a really difficult time, um, but the way it was dealt with was excellent. I, I felt like I was looked after and given the right information. And, um, and when I'd sort of got my head around it, I realised that, you know, if it hadn't been for that routine testing, I wouldn't have known and possibly would have got ill because I'd, I'd suffered a couple of severe chest infections. I was unwell quite a lot and put it down to stresses of work and stuff like that. But I was always tired. And and since I've been on treatment, I've had no no illness whatsoever. So for me, it was a it was a good thing. It really was. Had a very positive effect Extremely, on your yeah, health. Extremely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you mentioned that your care at John Hunter, which is the local sexual health clinic, was yes. excellent. Do you remember what it was in particular about your care that that made it so good? What, what? Just the way that everything was explained to me, and you know, I mean, I suppose I had, and you know, we there is still is that stigma attached to HIV, um, and who knows you have it and stuff like that. But it was explained to me in a way that you know. If I looked after myself and if I, when, when needed to, if I took the correct medication, I could have a, a long, healthy life, which, you know, I didn't know. I was still sort of, when I was diagnosed, I was still, oh my God, what's going to happen? All of this sort of stuff. So that was explained to me in a great way. Um, and I felt that the aftercare was, and, and ongoing though, so constantly. So I go for regular checkups, regular blood tests. Um, and they monitor. And I was lucky, like when I started on my antiretrovirals, I had no side effects whatsoever. So the whole process from being diagnosed and then going on um, medication for me has not, well, it's been very smooth. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's really good. Do you remember what questions you had or what information you wanted to know when you were diagnosed? 
well, I'm, it might sound, it might sound crazy, but I mean, one of the things was, you know, how long have I got? Mm. And that really was. I mean, I, I, I didn't know, you know, being diagnosed, what it meant for me. Um, so to be told that, you know, if I didn't get ill and I looked after myself and and listened to, you know, the advice, then there was no need for me to get ill. So that was very comforting because the minute you I got diagnosed, I was like, oh, you know, what's what's around the corner? What's going to happen? And um, so, you know, that side of it for me was was explained very well and, and made me feel more comfortable about the whole situation. OK, excellent. And was there anything... Sorry, again, this is going back a very long time, but is there anything that you wish you'd asked or that people didn't cover or that you feel could be better done? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I I really do remember that. I mean, I remember being, um, I remember that phone call was probably the worst thing that I'd ever experienced to be asked to go back in and be told that, yes, you are positive. But that was the only, that really for me was the only uncomfortable bad part of the whole situation was getting the diagnosis but when I look back on it as I said that if I hadn't had if I hadn't had that routine test done I probably wouldn't have been tested and quite possibly would have carried on getting sick and not putting you know not connecting the two Mm. together Um, so I think all my questions were answered Um, I don't remember ever feeling that I wish I could get more information Um, it was explained very well to me the the um, the sort of text that I was given, the booklets I was given to read through, and and you know the contact numbers I was given, everything was very um, very well explained. Okay, and when you were talking about before, when you said that you you probably wouldn't have been tested otherwise, you, yeah. you use the expression you buried your head in the sand. Yeah. What what do you think were your those, those sort of barriers for you to to getting tested? Did you think it wasn't something that was relevant, or was it the possible outcome? Or? I think it was the possible outcome. I think it was, I th- you know, I, I didn't think that I was HIV positive. I hadn't had, for me, there had been no indicators pointing in that direction. However, you know, through my life, I probably have put myself at risk once or twice. And, you know, maybe thinking that, oh, if I get tested, what about if it's positive? Which is a crazy thing to think because now I realize that being tested is is the most positive thing it's you know if you if you do get that diagnosis then it is the most positive thing is to know and to be treated and you know have a a long and sort of healthy life but yeah I was it was definitely a you know I didn't get tested because I didn't really want to know the outcome right do you think that do you feel that the perception about what HIV is and what it's like to live with HIV do you think that's sort of accurately known amongst people that you know it is a condition that has an excellent prognosis absolutely not no no No. i don't i honestly i mean i still think there is that huge thought in people's minds of hiv is like the diagnosis you've you're going to have a lot of a sort of unhealthy life and you're not going to have a long life and you're not going to be able to live a proper life and you're going to have complications. I think a lot of people still think that way. When actually in reality, it's it's not like that. It's so different. Yeah. I mean, I that's exactly, I thought all those things that I was going to be ill all the time and I was going to be in and out of hospital. And yet I've probably been better 
in the last, I would say in the last three years, especially while I've been on antiretrovirals, I've probably been better than I was for 10 years previous to that, where I got a lot of colds and mm. sort of, you know, aches and pains and pneumonia and... So your your message to other people who might be potentially putting off having an HIV test is... Please do. Just do it. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's, for me, it's been the best thing I could have done. So, Paul, was your partner offered an HIV test at the time as well? Yes. Yeah, so when I um, first got the phone call after the initial test in hospital, um, I, you know, it was explained to me that my partner was could come on the same day for a test. And that's when we both went over to um, the John Hunter Clinic. And he tested negative on the same day I was tested positive so okay and you mentioned that you've been together for a long time we've been together for 10 years previous to being diagnosed yeah so did he have a sort of expectation that he might also have a positive test? yes he yeah he thought he was going to test positive um and no it was it was all good it was all good news good yeah. good <laughs> and um Mike, how, um, so that's, you mentioned, you were saying that's called um, serodiscordant couple, where yeah. one partner is living with HIV and one isn't. And how, what options are available for, for couples in that situation? Yeah, so absolutely. So um, in that kind of situation, again, knowledge is power. So by Paul's diagnosis being made when it was, well, while his partner was negative, although obviously they we're in a long-term relationship and his partner was still negative we don't know for how much longer that situation would have been the case had you not known your status so we know that people who know their status can make behavioral changes so they might um, use condoms consistently or they may, might change the kind of sex they have uh, based based on the fact that we know that HIV transmission varies by um, uh, what what kind of sex people have the other thing uh, the other tools are um, treatment as prevention so there's now as I say really good evidence that people who are on successful antiretroviral therapy substantially reduce their risk of transmission to another partner and UK guidelines would support the use of treatment as prevention in this kind of situation if, if Paul wanted to take therapy purely for that reason we would support that other options are post-exposure prophylaxis. So had Paul's partner been at risk of HIV infection or there'd been a sexual contact within the preceding 72 hours, then that would have been a window for opportunity. And then there are other emerging fields like pre-exposure prophylaxis. And again, we probably think a combination of all of those factors, uh, individualised to the particular couple and, uh, uh, and so on, is probably the best uh, situation. But one of the, as I say, yeah, one of the real benefits of, of, of Paul's diagnosis, in addition to his own health, was enabling us to take steps to keep his partner negative. So again, it's that recurring theme of knowledge being power. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. All right, well, let's um, talk a bit about tests, the tests themselves. Um, in the review, you talk about the laboratory tests that are available and point of care testing. Is there anything else on the horizon as well? Yeah, so absolutely. There's, there's home testing on the horizon. So... As we touched upon a bit earlier, we know that possibly people might not... There are barriers to people accessing testing, whether they want to talk to their GP about their sex life or whether they want to go to a gum clinic. For the last year or two, there have been some home sampling studies or 
pilot studies that have been going on. So in the UK, uh, if you can go onto some websites, you can identify as at risk of HIV infection and a testing kit can be sent to you at home that you uh, might, it might be a saliva sample on a swab or it might be a, a prick of blood on a piece of blotting paper, then send to a laboratory and receive your result. Uh, and those studies have been absolutely fascinating. They're really, really successful. Um, they're detecting HIV at high rates and all of those people importantly are transferring to care because I think one of the big concerns about uh, arm's length testing as it were would be that people find out their status and then don't do anything about it um, but those pilot studies that are ongoing and have been ongoing are really really reassuring in that regard that home sampling um, is uh, is an effective strategy what's on the horizon and is being reviewed now in, uh, in parliament is uh, and in fact has now been passed as legal is home testing so uh, patients actually, or members of the public rather, actually purchasing a testing kit and getting running the test themselves and reading the result themselves. Um, and in other, in, for example, the US, that has been shown again to be a very effective strategy at engaging a new demographic, breaking down the barriers to testing. But the concerns remain again um, in that situation, which really is remote from the provider. Uh, with, whereas with home sampling, we know who's testing reactive and can work hard to engage them in care. With home sampling, with home testing rather, uh, we need to make sure that uh, we do everything we can to get people engaged in care if they have a reactive result. And that may be through a national helpline or through networks or local links and so on. But these tests that are going to be um, uh, commercially available um, generally are pretty good. They, there are some issues with specificity, so with false reactive tests, and that's a concern particularly with oral methodologies, um, which I know the, the, the Parliamentary Committee is looking into, but it's going to happen. It probably will happen later this year when we get some kite marking, um, but us as healthcare professionals need to make sure uh, we do everything we can to well know what to do if someone turns up in your, in your surgery with a reactive result, uh, but perhaps... Uh, more importantly, make sure that we do everything that people can engage with care if they get a reactive result at home. And what what should people do if, if you know, healthcare professionals in other domains or GPs, if someone does turn up saying, I've done this home test, I've got a reactive result, what, what to do next? Well, again, it would, yeah, it depends again on the situation. So you do a risk assessment. So why was this person doing the test? Are they low risk? Are they moderate risk? Are they higher risk? Because that will obviously make you think about the positive predictive value of that reactive test and, and interpret it uh, with some clinical uh, knowledge. Uh, but then probably, again, it would depend on the situation, but you probably want to do confirmatory testing and whether that's near patient testing, depending on what your facilities are, or sorting out a fourth generation lab test yourself or referring them to a sexual health clinic, whatever is appropriate. But um, it's much the same way as uh, as how you'd handle a, a reactive test in any other situation, but possibly with uh, a bit more information gathering at the beginning because you don't know what the driver was for the test, for example. Right. Okay. So thank you so much for coming in. That was a really informative um, discussion of the review that's now online on bmj.com. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Thank you.